Pod Clubhouse. I just don't think I'm finished with this place. This is Caroline with Daily Review. And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review. And this is Without a Paddle, the Shit's Creek Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode 13 of season 6, Start Spreading the News. The episode was written by Dan Levy and directed by Jordan Canning, coming back again for, I don't know, was this her fourth or fifth episode this season? We love her. Hey, Caroline, how are you feeling after tonight's penultimate episode of Shit's Creek? Very satisfied. This was really, really well done. Really well done. A lot of good things happened. Funny moments, definitely heartwarming moments. What was one of your favorite moments, Mike? Oh, man. I mean, I loved the Stevie and David scene on the hood of the car stands out for me. The Twyla and Alexis, they're two big scenes together tonight. Twyla and Alexis have always been kind of a, a, a fun friendship that they haven't really highlighted on the show. But I feel like a couple times this season, we've really gotten a good glimpse at where these two have come. So I I was really happy tonight to see the payoff in their friendship. I agree with you a whole ton about that, about about that friendship, because when I look back, I'm like, wait, they went to the bar together. They've had millions of conversations together. They did that switch the jewelry thing together. Like they actually had a lot together. But if you said name friendships on Schitt's Creek, I'd be like, well, they're Stevie and David. And then I'd be like, huh. Like I would have a hard, I, I I wouldn't have instantly thought of them, which is silly because they absolutely were friends the whole time. Think back to when Alexis got the turtle, Ted the turtle. Twyla gave her a bunch of advice in that episode mm-hmm. about her relationship and about the turtle and, you know, their whole business about the turtle being loose maybe in the restaurant. I, I think it was really her conversation with Twyla that really set her on the path that she needed to break up with Ted for them both to be able to go do what they're meant to do. Uh, She says to her, you always make the right decision eventually. Yeah. She's been a real guru for Alexis. And I think Alexis has been someone young, cool and hip for Twyla to be friends with. I get the impression Twyla is surrounded by a lot of older people. For most of her day. And so I I think Alexis has been this breath of fresh air in Twyla's life. Holy shit. What an awesome major bomb Twyla dropped on us. Let's just jump right into them. Let's talk about Alexis and Twyla and their beautiful relationship, but also (laughs) the bomb drop. (laughs) I felt so happy that Dan wrote in something so cool for his sister. I loved it. And you know what? I I know there are people out there that be like, that's just so like... Fonzie jumping the shark odd to write, but it's not because it's Twyla. Twyla has got the most mysterious, fucked up, odd, not predictable background of any character maybe on television ever. I was totally on board with this. I was like, of course. She is a multi, multi, multi multi-millionaire living and working in Schitt's Creek. Starting off there with Alexis trying to, you know, be given her charity. Like, oh, you know, I know you don't really have much. So, like, let me give you these dresses and stuff. And so, Alexis, to be reaching back in the bag. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, like, donated something to somebody else? And then you're, like, looking at the stuff that they're taking. And you're, like, you get that, like, itchy fingers. Like, Like, I actually do still like that a little bit. Maybe it's, like, games you're selling back to GameStop. I don't know what it is for man folk. For women, it's definitely clothes. Like, there's been 
even times when I can have a whole garbage bag going to a friend and I can see them start picking stuff out. I'm like, damn, that is cute. Oh, shit. Like, I start getting, like, remorseful right away. I mean, I've done it with a lot of Tom's clothes, actually, where, you know, he grew, he's at an age where he's growing like a weed. And so I'm constantly making garbage bags full of clothes to donate to charity. But then I'll go through it one more time. I'll fold it up or I'll just make sure, you know, what's in there is supposed to be in there. Well, I'll get to an item and be like, does this really not fit him anymore? Aww. Is there a way we could jimmy this into him now? You know, like, I really like this shirt or I'm not terribly sentimental about things. So no. it, it's it's more about the memories that are attached to them, which you really can't donate, you know? So Oh, my God. You should stitch that on a pillow somewhere. Then give away the pillow. And then, but you know what? I'd still have the memory of it. So I'm it'd be fine. Stitching the pillow. That's true. What did you think of Twyla's advice to Alexis about money, whether or not it could buy happiness and that whole kind of back and forth? Because I think Alexis has a pretty obvious reaction that we would expect from Alexis finding out that her friend is a 40, what, six millionaire, dollar millionaire. <laughs> I actually was trying to do the math. I was trying to do the mental math. So what is it? What is 92 divided by two? It is 46. I think it's 46, right? I yeah. don't know. I'm terrible at math. I wrote That's what I had in my notes anyway. I wrote 48 on my page because I'm sad at math. <laughs> Maybe she's earned interest on it. Maybe she's earned $2 million worth of interest <laughs> on it. That's very kind know. of you. Or you can be like, Caroline can't divide 92 by 2. <laughs> That's all right. We're assuming that you're not in charge of your kids' math lessons in this e-learning environment that we're now in. Mm-mm, definitely not. No, no. So what did I think about it? The sentiment, of course, that, you know, happiness can't be bought by money is a huge thing, which is actually super ironic, Mike, because without really knowing it, we asked the Beekman boys that exact question, like, can you buy happiness? You know, does money, does does money basically trump everything? And they said absolutely not. And so it was, it was kind of interesting because in a lot of ways, I kind of felt like probably the story was a lot what the Beekman boys were kind of telling us in our interview with them, just, you know, that, that friendships and being with people, listening to each other's stories and you know experiencing life in the small town all that stuff was like worth so much more to them we actually have this uh clip from twyla i have everything i need right here and if i've learned anything from how my mom spent the money i gave her it's that money can buy a lot of snowmobiles but it can't buy happiness you know money can buy a lot of snowmobiles and you know there was a time <laughs> in my life where i was quite the sled freak had a lot of oh i only had one snowmobile but it had a lot of accoutrement on it it was a fun way to spend your money but at the end of the day uh it, it, it is not a good place to buy happiness and it sounds a little hokey but also it's something that we all need to hear from time to time because i think we forget it i was as impressed though with her sentiment i mean that's that's classic twyla but I was more impressed about Alexis's response. Totally true about the happiness, but it still it still can you know make you smile. Again, super duper wacky. If you remember when we were talking to the Beekman boys, that's what one of them said. One was like, "But you can buy things that are special and can make." It was almost like they had the script. I'm telling you, they were like, "You can buy maybe, things maybe that can did. make things special." I know. I was like, when maybe, I maybe we were right? talking in code. Maybe they <laughs> thought we were talking in code to them about a script that was not going to be seen for like a month and a half. <laughs> I, I'm serious, though, because the other one's like, but you could buy things that are special for people and then you could make someone else happy and all this kind of stuff. I was like, I love that. I love everything that is being said right now. I do think that you can definitely buy something that's special for someone and make their day and that that, 
even though, yes, it was acquired through money, it it was really the thought at the end of the day, the effort that you put that is making that person smile. And, you know, so I, Twyla was just right on for me with this. Everything she was telling Alexis was perfect. Let's fast forward to the end, uh, their next scene together, which comes up towards the end of the episode. What do you think is the better cafe title now that Twyla is the owner operator? Are, are you are you team Twyla's Cafe Tropical or team Twyla's Cafe? I told you that she was going to say Twyla's Cafe. So she said Twyla's Cafe Tropical. I like, I like burst out laughing. Like I was like, Brah! like of course Twyla would do that. I just thought that was super funny. I, I would go with Twyla's Cafe. I, I, it would not occur to me to keep the Tropical. Although that is the big like thing on the side, right? So it kind of, I don't know. It was kind of like the thing that gives it like some panache on that building. But still, I'm going with the, I would stick with the Twyla's Cafe. I think Twyla's Cafe sounds better, but Twyla's Cafe Tropical makes so much sense to me because that is Twyla. She's giving herself this luxury of buying the cafe that makes her happy. But her her humility is such that she would never, ever change this established, what she probably sees as a paragon business of Schitt's Creek. Cafe Tropical in the center square is a thing. And I think her entire personality, if you ask me what she would change the name to, obviously she keeps Cafe Tropical as much as she can. I'm almost surprised that she even put her name on it versus just being like, no, I'm keeping the name of the, it's going to stay the same. I'm just going to own it now. You know, I'm still going to work the counter. I'm still going to be the waitress. Everything's going to be, you know, the same. I'm just going to be the owner now. That that would have, like, That actually would have completely me. matched. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it is actually kind of a surprise that she would even put Twyla in it. That's like Alexis's influence, I want to say, being a little bit willing to brand it as your own, I guess. You know, I think we all can easily point to what good Twyla has done for Alexis as a friend, as a quote unquote normal friend, grounded friend. But I think you're right. I think this is an example of where Alexis has rubbed off for good on Twyla, you know, that it is okay to put on a nice dress and it is okay to fancy yourself a little bit and it is okay to, you know, brand yourself a little bit. I think that's all all Alexis effect. Do you think that they are going to catch flack for having given her this lottery win behind the scenes? Like, do you think that the, that people are going to be like, wah, wah, like, what was that? Or do you think that for the most part, fans are going to be like, you know what? I'm happy for Twyla. That makes me happy to know that she's taken care of and she'll be totally fine. I don't think fans of Schitt's Creek who have been along for the ride are going to even blink at that because her finding out that she has won the lottery for that amount of money is no different really than any of the other batshit crazy things that we have learned about her over right. the, over time. She has a picture of the RV king holding her as a baby. You know, like, <laughs> yes. there's nothing There's nothing at this point that can come up in Twyla's backstory that is surprising. And I think that's the beauty of Twyla. She is this outlet for fantastical reveals that are just funny. I personally love it. I hope that they don't get any, like, you know, frown face overly sappy any commentary because I love it and she deserves it. What was more surprising to you that Twyla offered to give Alexis money or that Alexis didn't take it or did neither of those things surprise you? As soon as she came in the room with the envelope, I definitely felt like she was going to give her money. Although I thought maybe Alexis, if she was going to take it, I thought maybe there'd be a little bit of a of a change in it. Like I thought she'd say, I'd like to invest in your company, something like that, rather than just give her money to like start up her, you know, apartment. I thought maybe it would be more like business investment money. So that was the only thing that kind of like surprised me. And I think Alexis would have accepted that, but just like a plain handout. No, I guess I I was proud of Alexis for not taking it. 
and it was very Alexis to hang on to that <laughs> to that envelope. Definitely, <laughs> sure definitely made me laugh a little bit when she held on to it just a little bit it too long. It would be so hard once you saw the amount on it, whatever it was. Wouldn't it be like so hard to let it go? Oh no, I would have fucking taken it. I wouldn't have even blinked. I would have been like, "You're, I'm gonna put this money to good use. Thank you so much. I won't fuck it up like your mom did with the snowmobiles." <laughs> you know. I think knowing how much money she had, I think that I would have also taken it. But I would have added that caveat. I would have been like, but I really would like you to be like, you know, a silent investor in, you know, Alexis PR Inc. You know, I would have I would have wanted her to feel like she got something more than just like giving it to me, I think. Be an actual supporter of mine. Yes. Have let me share some of this with you. Uh, that being said, I, I love that she said I don't want to tell you how to use your money, but maybe you can come use some of it to come visit me in New York kind of thing. Can you imagine? I, this is a spinoff I would watch. Uh, Twyla and Alexis running rampant in New York City. Fucking sign me up for, you know, six years in a movie for that show. I love it. I, I think Twyla herself would be hysterical. I think she would be <laughs> she'd be such a Muppet. The amount of things that could happen. I, I could just see her like getting involved with like a homeless person, like feeding a rat. I, I could just see her doing like millions of goofy things in the city yes but with like brewster's millions level of money yes you know where <laughs> where uh sarah levy and her portrayal of twyla and twyla herself just has to go down as one of the best side characters on the show just, you know maybe, maybe even too underused but just so much fun and just always a great great source of odd small town wisdom or more often, just a great comedy relief valve. Absolutely. I'm so glad she was a part of it. She provided such a great, like, little contrast for Alexis to finally, like, have, like, you know, this is what life could be. And then the idea that, like, I think that that whole concept we were talking about with Patrick last last episode where I was saying, I think maybe he had money, but or even has money, but he chooses to live in this small town. Ironically, that's, like, exactly what was going on with Twilight. Like, she has the money. She could leave. She chooses to stay here. She has everything she needs here. That was, like, yes, the, the portrayal of a person who enjoys small town life and doesn't need to leave was really important in this entire series. She says it perfectly. She says, I have everything I need here, which is something that Stevie is going to then echo to David, uh, mm -hmm. essentially. I'm from New York, so I have my own opinions. But what is so great about New York that you don't have here? Why can't you find happiness here? Twyla says it in a less hurt way, but she says essentially the same thing. Like, I'm happy here. This is everything I need in life. I am a contented life. Love, And I love that. And I think it's a great message for all of the roses to hear. But I'm glad that Alexis got to hear it because maybe that will stay with her. That even if she does move to New York and she does start her life there, that there is a home for her to go home to when she needs to, you know, that the creek will still be there for her when she needs to come home. I love the idea of them having like little homes there in Schitt's Creek, like to come back to at a later date. Here was my cry moment, my tear up moment. And it was the very last thing they said to each other. Alexis compliments her and she says, cute dress. Twyla turns around and says, thanks. My friend gave it to me. Oh, Jesus Christ, Caroline. Just... <laughs> I'm not ready for the show to go away. I'm, I'm not ready. I know. Uh, I know. It was really, really sweet. I agree with you. It 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 hit me right right in the heartstrings there. It did it. All the goddamn feels. All of the feels. I love their story, but we have more people to cover tonight. Let's talk about Moira and Johnny and Moira's unexpected turn of good fortune. It was not unexpected for me, Mike. Not unexpected for me. No. Well, you had been saying all along that this reboot was going to happen and that, you know, there was going to be some twist. But is this how you saw it working out? 
that yeah. Tippy was going to give in to all of her demands? Yes, yes, I totally did. I said it never made sense to me. It never sit right that they came all the way out there and they came all the way out there to talk to her and everything. And then it would just move on without her. I, it didn't make sense. My heart was like, nope, they're coming back. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what they'll offer her. But she's definitely doing the Sunrise Bay reboot. And so, yeah, when he came along, I was like, yeah. And then I, as soon as I saw that blue box, I was like, it's the tennis bracelet. Like right away, I knew what they were doing. And I was totally here for it. I felt like it made complete sense. Same with the tennis bracelet box. As soon as I saw that, I had the same reaction as I did when I saw Twyla with the envelope in her hands. Like I knew what was in there. Oh, shit. They came through with the giant tennis bracelet that she thought was like the deal breaker. That was the deal breaker to, to a certain extent. Um, I love that for her. You know, I, I rag on Moira a lot as a person, but I was so happy for her in this episode. And I was so happy that Johnny was so happy for her. You yeah. know, he could have easily he could have easily been like, what the fuck? I mean, we're going to now we, we've lived in Schitt's Creek for three years and now we're going to live by coastally. But he didn't. And it was what you were talking about last week about how Moira never puts Johnny down. She always holds him up as a paragon. She doesn't she doesn't rip on him. She doesn't mock him. This was Johnny giving to her the same kind of thing. You know, there was no thought to him. This is going to screw up my plans, my Rosebud Motel plans. It was just pure joy for her. What did you think about his reaction? I loved it. I, I took one pause for a moment and he's like, that's going to be a big commute. I thought like, oh man, are they really going to have Moira go live elsewhere and he is going to have to go to New York? But but at the same time, I thought, well, does does someone need to be in New York? I'm like, I'm, I'm uncertain whether the investment company is going to require someone being in New York or not or what that's about. So it did give me like pause for just a second, but not in a negative way, just in like a, oh, is that where this is going? They're all going to end up living in different places. But other than that, I fully expected him to be excited for her, elated. I mean, this just seemed like icing on the cake for them because, you know, they were ready to go. They were happy with what was going to be happening, especially even Moira. You know, there was no part of it that she was like, oh, crap, I don't have anything that I'm going, you know, to be doing. Like, she was perfectly great to be Johnny's wife as a part of the empire. You know, she didn't need to have her own thing. But for her to get her own thing was, like, fantastic. And I love it that everyone was so supportive. It, even though Alexis and her moment where she's, like, hugging on mom and everything like that. I mean, that was wonderful. A very cold opening when Moira's on the phone talking to some Bev. Who is this Bev uh, that she's relying on to spread the, the news through the socialite network of New York that she's coming home? My first thought was that she said Joyce and that we were talking about Joyce DeWitt again. Oh, but then I listened back to it. I was like, oh, no, it was Bev. So I, then I was confused. <laughs> I feel like maybe she was, she was one of those old friends. I mean, we know that she's one of those old friends, but it was like I, I, I do feel like we've heard her mentioned before, like in one of those times where maybe the uh, the episode where Moira supposedly died, like that kind of thing where it was like one person like spread the news and it seemed like it could have definitely been Bev. So I don't I don't think it was completely fresh, but I was laughing about the idea that kind of how you know how she has that little secret trick about knowing how to get the kids to come in the other room where she's like he did what and then they just like run in it's funny to me that she knows gossip patterns and so she knows what will get people interested so to just like leave it this little nugget with with bev she knew it'd be around to everybody in 10 seconds yeah girlfriend knows how to play the strings for sure um <laughs> what did you think was funnier because they both made me laugh out loud her asking tippy on the phone to make sure this wasn't a barbarous jape or her acceptance that she was saying yes with a clangorous vociferous yes 
These are both classic lawyerisms. I think Jape cracked me up harder, to be honest. I was like, oh, that's super funny. Um, and I'm like super proud of my own little vocabulary that I knew everything she was saying all the time. I got to imagine there's people who are like listening who don't know. I got to think, right? I, I would imagine, yes. But I've never heard Jape used with the word barbarous before it. Yeah. Like it really just makes Jape seem sound so much more severe. Right. But uh, I've heard people consent to things or say yes to things vociferously. And that's actually a word that I like to use. But clangorous? A clangorous yes? No, I don't know that I've ever <laughs> been so excited about anything. Have you ever been so excited to say yes to something, Caroline, that you would give a clangorous, vociferous yes? Probably, but I would never say it that way. I'm a pretty um, like happy person generally. So I feel like you know it can be pretty small stuff and I'd be like, yeah! Like, I can be pretty excitable about things. It's Shut true. the front door. It's true. <laughs> You're pretty reserved. I don't, I, I'm having a hard time believing that about you. Right, right. Nobody knows how uh, I'm feeling. Before we get to the Jazzigals, what did you think about Roland Shit definitely putting his poultry before they are incubated with this big shiny truck? Did this give you any agitation or anxiety like we were talking about last week about putting bad juju out in the air? Weirdly, I think because it of where we are in the episodes, I felt less less scared about this like I, it didn't give me that same feel I did sort of have that like well look at you kind of feeling like more like that but not not that same juju feeling because we're just too far along I mean they're not going to pull the rug out from under these people at this point so I feel like okay they're safe they're they're fine but also like look at you and even just Jocelyn with like she was so her shoulders were like pushed back she was so just like this is our time you know like it just felt so good good yeah she, she was proud of her husband she was proud of all of them you know it's kind of what we were talking about last week and I, I think i think a lot of what we hit on last week in the last few weeks um really came to fruition in this episode these guys are all family now you know maybe not by blood maybe not by marriage but they are all wrapped up with each other now and i love that i, I almost felt like that new truck and it was like i mean i'm not a giant pickup truck guy but as far as pickup trucks go, that's a sexy, sexy fucking pickup truck that he's uh, rolling with now. Yes. Uh, I, I almost felt like it was all of their truck, that it represented a sense of achievement for all of them to share. It made me really happy. I'm with you on the truck front. Like, I'm not a big pickup truck girl either. However, it is a huge thing down here in Texas. And so the second I laid eyes on it, I was like, that's on sexy truck. Like, that's hot business. I know that's expensive for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. They're definitely going to be boning in that when they're not in the presidential suite at the new motel. They're definitely going to be boning in the new truck. Oh, my God. For uh, sure. Out at the cabin in the in the what do you call that? What do you call the pickup part of it? Is it just called the pickup part of it? I, I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. The pickup part, I the guess. Pick up part. I don't know. <laughs> it has a name. To pick up people rolling their eyes at us right now. Have you ever gotten a little nasty in the back of a pickup truck? I'm a big guy, so it, it, it has to be a really, really big car in general for me to feel comfortable to splay out and, and do the business. Splay out. Oh, I know. Duh. Mike, it's called the bed of a truck. Duh. Bed. Duh. Of the, truck. the bed of the truck. The bed of the truck. But yeah, so I didn't grow up with pickup trucks. Uh, that was not a thing I saw until I was in my late 20s, really. On like the right. It's like I was aware that uh, there was a thing called pickup trucks. People don't really drive them in the city, you know, unless you're like have a construction company or some kind of like plumbing or electric company, you know, yeah. uh, it's not it's not a recreational like or like daily vehicle down in the city. But when I moved up to the country, it became just a way of life. But by that point, I was too old for those kinds of shit. Humping in beds so, of trucks. No tailgates on the beds I hump in. Uh, let's go over to the Jazza Gals. What was your favorite part of the Jazzigal scene. How much her friends wanted to support her no matter what the 
news was was so adorable. I thought that, you know, the way that they were rallying, like, reboots are stupid. And then when she said, you know, but I actually got it. And they're like, reboots are awesome. Like, they just tried so hard to be good friends. And I, that is so me. I would so get caught in that trap of what Twyla did, of being like, you don't need them. Reboots aren't as good as the first one anyway. And then instantly they'd be like, no, reboots are Great. It's going to be successful. I'm so that person. I would get trapped every time. I loved how they had the t-shirts. I was really surprised at Jocelyn saying that she wasn't as prepared for this as she thought she would be. Because, you know, Jocelyn and Moira have such an interesting relationship separate from all of the other Jazzy Gals. They really have this separate relationship that has been, I don't know if competitive is the right word. But it's it's definitely had shades of cattiness, maybe competitiveness. I just thought it was such an honest emotion from Jocelyn. This woman who has kind of driven her crazy on and off for, for three years, kind of being overcome and not knowing what to say to her. I really like that Jocelyn had that emotion. I thought that was really sweet. But I was really surprised at Ronnie. Ronnie is not a crier, too. So it really surprised me that she got so emotional by the news. I, th- I mean, I thought it was absolutely adorable. Yeah, I was surprised. And when she was like, Veronica, <laughs> I was like, oh, but at the same time, I mean, she does bring that slice of flavor to their whole thing here. You know, I mean, she's so much more full of life and vibrant, just wild. You know, as much as she is a pain in the ass, she does bring with her, you know, that excitement and that energy. You know, when you're in any type of small town kind of situation, things can get pretty routine, pretty mundane. And so having someone who's going to leave like that, mm, I could see why that would be difficult. And especially, I mean, think of how much she pushed them forward with doing, you know, new things and having the like um, asbestos fest. They were like an evening with Moira Rose. I don't know if it had like an actual name, but she just brought like a whole new everything to them. The line from Wicked, which we, you know, it comes up in tonight's episode, the show. I don't know if you've changed me for better, but you've changed me for good. Mm. And I, I think that's certainly been Moira's effect on the Jazzigals, uh, yes. is, you know, their lives will never be the same for having met her. I don't know why, but I didn't think of this until just now. And I was thinking about the town council and Ronnie and stuff. Is, is Roland going to remain mayor or is he going to have to resign to go do the new motel business? That's a super good question. Really, everything with that was like not fleshed out in any way for me in terms of like, how does this all work? And why why can why can Johnny and Moira live in New York or Los Angeles? So I think they say in the episode that it's going to take a while for Johnny's offices and stuff to get set up in New York. So I think the move to L.A. is only temporary. I think they are going to be doing a bi-coastal commute. Okay. I, the way he kept, he mentioned, it, I think a couple times in the last conversation with the kids that while New York is getting set up, he is going to go out to California with Moira, but that I don't think sense. he's going to stay there. Yeah. Okay. I think they are going to end up doing a bi-coastal thing, but they'll have the money to fly back and forth. I mean, that's the only thing that makes that commute difficult is the expense of flying or in a post-quarantine world where you can't actually go anywhere. Right. Or if you live like us and no one can ever leave home. (laughs) But with the amount of money that she's now asking and gotten from the reboot, presumably Johnny will have cash because he's going to have to, it's going to be expected that he's flying around the country doing his hotel business. I I don't think that's really going to be an issue for them, the the transport aspect. I wonder if they're going to address it in the final episode next week, if Roland remains mayor or if he's going to have to actually move on from that position. That's a big deal. Not having a shit 
run Shit's Creek? Wouldn't it be funny if Mutt like took it over or something? Oh my god, the big return? Maybe he'd come back and you'd get like a like a passing of the torch. Mutt's over on sci-fi right now though, so I don't know I don't know what his <laughs> filming availability is to come back. It so. would be cool if he did. I don't know. I'd be I'd be there for it if he like wanted to become mayor of the town. Like that seems like a really natural progression for them. Even though I know it shouldn't pass on like it's a freaking, you know, kingdom. But still, it seems like I could see that happening. Maybe Ray can become mayor. Oh, my God. I, I think I'd like to see that. That would be the ending. Ray comes back out of nowhere and uh, he ends up becoming mayor. That's really funny. I like that. <laughs> Caroline, I already yeah. told you about one of my crying issues of Twilight and Alexis. But man, oh, man, Stevie and David and David and Patrick and then David and Stevie and then David and Patrick again just had me fucking... Not all out bawling. I am a grown ass man. I do not ball my eyes up, but I was definitely like, there's something in my eye. You were like that the whole time? I was like that. I was like that a little bit, a, a couple times in this episode. We're going to have to make sure to watch the finale together so that I can I can witness this for real and really know like how much this is impacting you because I felt the same way. I mean, I was definitely feeling like Stevie, the distress that she was feeling of like, why? Why New York? Why do you have to do this? Like, why do you put yourself through these things? When you have everything you want here, I felt for her like that, like it was so palpable for me, her emotions. It was very, very real. Let's not put the carpet before the horse because I have a very important question to ask you. Yes. Have you ever revealed to someone a piece of information that you thought that they were aware of, but they were not in fact aware of? Kind of how Stevie mentions the house without David <laughs> having any idea what it was about. I yes, and she did a very good job of being like, I feel like I'm 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 getting in trouble here. I th I've been in that exact type of feeling where because especially like amongst siblings and stuff where you're like, I thought mom told you or something like that, but you're like, uh, maybe I had it wrong. I think I might have heard it wrong. I think you should double check with mom or something. Definitely amongst siblings that's happened to me. I'm probably a little more careful with friends. Because I'm pretty aware when someone's telling me something I should really stay super quiet about. But amongst family, as I consider Stevie and David, there's more of that sense of like, I thought you would know already, you know? So I, I, I just said it. You seem like you're such a sphinx. I don't think that you would accidentally spill the beans. It's happened to me in work situations where I have mentioned something that I thought maybe was known company-wide or industry-wide that it turned out was not yet known uh, oh, yeah. widely. So, but no, nothing devastating. But yeah, no, I, uh, I'm a pretty good vault. If someone tells me something, I, whether or not they say to not mention it, I typically don't because it's just easier. If you just never say anything to anyone about anything, then you don't have to worry about <laughs> accidentally spilling the beans about anything. Oh my God. Yes. But I could never do that. Think about what you just said. Like I could never do that. If you're like, just don't say anything to anybody about anything ever. <laughs> <laughs> like my my little extrovert soul went like oh <laughs> no 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 I I am a great secret keeper for that exact reason I I just don't I don't tell anyone about my own shit let alone about someone else's I believe that to be true hey did you think Stevie looked good in a ponytail or did she look better with her hair down I'm so glad you asked because mm, 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 I loved this whole new look of Stevie she looked like she looked like she had just gone to a spa and had like 10 years removed of stress from her body I thought her face looked clearer I thought she looked brighter I loved the hair pullback I thought her outfit was less dumpy what's the word? 
dumpy, you know, I mean, it wasn't that big of a difference, but it was a difference. Even without David saying anything, I was like, oh, she looks, she looks fresh and new. You know, the funny thing was the second, the second they brought us like the camera into there, I go, oh, she has her hair in a ponytail. Like instantly it was like, she has her hair back. She's never had her hair back ever. Real. It was a real subtle way to indicate that Stevie is in a brighter, different place than she was even like two weeks ago. Certainly a different than she was at the beginning of the season. When you think back to her her existential crisis on what what is next for her life. Yeah. This is, I mean, talk about an arc that we talked about a lot at the beginning of the season. This Stevie is is very different than Larry Air Stevie, you know, for sure. <laughs> well, and that's sure you know it for Larry Air, they did put it back in like that French twist where it was like back sort of like in a bun. So I guess to be very clear, yes, it has been put back, but not in a pony. That was fresh. Right. I, I meant I meant more internally. Well, not you. I just don't want anyone to ever say to me, you know, like, hey, she's worn her hair back. I don't want to be, you know, bashed on that. Yes, she did. Yes, but she looks so bright and fresh. In, and young in like a, and like hopeful. Hopeful. Like she looked like she had just been given like a new lease on life kind of thing. Because I feel like she has direction. I love when she told David that I'm not moving to New York. I just wanted to know if I could. I don't feel the need to move to New York. I, I just wanted to know that I could if I needed to. I love that. And that was kind of like the mirroring of what Twyla was saying. You yeah. know, like I'm happy here. Everything I have is here. What What did you think about her general talk with David before in the first instant? Because I definitely want to spend time in the car in the hood with them. <laughs> I felt like it it answered our question right away that we were wondering, you know, how will how will this work? Will Stevie go? Will Roland stay? How will this work out? Because certainly not all partners need to go in all directions. Someone's got to stay behind. So I had said to you, wouldn't it be so sad to see Stevie leave and David stay? I was very relieved when she said that she was going to stay. All her heart really needed to know was that the world was open to her and she could go anywhere at any time. And she's going to get to travel because of opening the new motels. So she's right. not just like stuck there or anything. So all of that made such wonderful like puzzle pieces fitting together sense. This is perfect. She doesn't need to go to New York, but she does get to see new places all those feelings of like when Aunt Maureen died and she inherited the motel and it was such a burden to her. And there was this feeling of like, I just need to sell it. I, I can't really be here to go from that to seeing her like wiping down the front desk and everything. I was like, oh, my goodness, it's 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 so wonderful for her. It's all the difference of the context. She was behind the counter. She was wearing her Stevie name tag today. But this is a completely different Stevie. This is a Stevie now living her life on her own terms. It, that's a totally different Stevie than who inherited the hotel from her aunt and did feel like it was an albatross around her neck and didn't know what she was doing with her life. This is a Stevie now who is here voluntarily. She's going to be, like you said, she's going to be traveling around. She's going to get to live her life now on her own terms and in a way that makes her feel satisfied and happy. I love that. I don't know that they could have come up with a better plan for her than how they've laid it out for her now. I agree with you because if you remember, I was really scratching my head about what they could possibly have her do. Like I was like, I just don't understand this. They're going to somehow put her in another job. Like she's somehow going to go move somewhere. Like none of these things make sense to me. I, this was like the thing that made complete sense and fits her very well. Before we talk about David and Patrick, let's let's cut to David and Stevie the next time we see them because they're on the hood of uh, I guess Stevie's car and they're staring at the house that David has been pining for and that Patrick has made movement on to, to maybe buy. And they have maybe the most meaningful, real conversation of their friendship in these six seasons right here. 
What, what was your general impression of David's reasons for wanting to go to New York, why he felt he needed to, and then Stevie's defense on, on why that's all bullshit? It was very relatable for David to feel like if you have to feel like you were run out of town to begin with, the only way to be vindicated, to feel any sense of closure on that is to come strutting back in town and show that you're successful, show that you got married you're feeling so great about yourself. And that is like the only way to handle it. I understood that. It made good sense to me. And within his echelon of people, that actually might be very true. Like living a good life elsewhere isn't necessarily going to impress them. He isn't wrong on that front that you have to show up with swagger at the big party with the guy on your arm and feel like this is the only way to shut all of you guys up. But Stevie's you know, like refocusing of the camera and being like, that might be true for those people. But for the rest of the world, like that is not the definition of success. And you have what all of these people are actually looking for. Someone who loves you, a place who supports you, a thriving business. You don't need them. And I got to tell you, Mike, the nail in the coffin for me is when he did reference those New York friends and mm -hmm. she says, none of them are coming to the wedding. Oh, you could like physically see his heart, like <laughs> not exactly. I don't want to say break, but it was such a reality check. You are bending over backwards for people who can't even be bothered to put aside a concert, you know, to come to your big day. Do you really yeah. care about them that much? Those fucking caviar crowd <sighs> totally scumbagged them in the end. Listen, I, I I agree with everything you said. When he says, and that's where my friends are, I almost felt like that was like a like a whiplash smack to Stevie. They're not coming. Then she she mentioned just about the electronic festival in what Norway. You know that was more important than your wedding. It was almost like a like smack back kind of thing against him. Like I'm your friend, you fucking asshole. Like <laughs> I'm here with you now. I have been here with you for the last three years when you had nothing. Like I'm your friend. Like I felt I was like, but that's how these two get when they talk real. S super small note on that. I love how they set that up to be super realistic. That Stevie would be in charge of RSVPs. I know that's a small, teeny little note, but she would be as like maid of honor. She would be. That would be something that she'd be keeping track of. So it's something that she would know and he wouldn't necessarily know. I know that's a tiny little detail, but I love it. I, I loved it too because it's the kind of thing that she also would not have yet told him. Yes. She would have been sparing his feelings. Yeah. This whole time. And kind of her own too of like how awkward. Like I'll just let him find out the day of that they weren't there. Maybe he doesn't notice because again, you know, they're not real friends. But when he says, I need them to know I'm not a joke. I need them yeah. to know that I won. God damn it. My heart fucking broke for him. And then and then even more so when she says, look around, you did win. Oh, everyone needs the friend that reminds them how shitty you think your life is. It's not as bad as someone else has it for one thing. And by the way, it's probably a lot fucking better than most people have it. You need to appreciate what's around you. This is the Twilight conversation. What more do you need? Really asking you to like look in your soul. I do want to ask you because you are somebody who literally lives right across there from New York City and you could completely see this entire experience because you've lived in New York City. Within that lifestyle, is it like if you leave the city, is it like you've failed or you've given up and gone to the like the suburbs or whatever? Because within my Southern life, you could go and live downtown or whatever they call them. They call it inner loop because there's like a loop around the city. So if you're an inner looper, that means that you live within the loop of the city. 
If you don't, then you're living in the suburbs. But no one considers that as like a failure or a success. It's just more like different phases of life, I guess I want to say. And so it's kind of, it's kind of expected that when you're going to have your family and you're going to do whatever, that you would naturally move out further uh, for school systems and stuff like that. So for city folk, is it like city folk from birth to death or else you fail? Or is it like it's okay to like leave and have your family and you're not considered like a failure or anything? It's a little complicated because it really depends on what your circle is. The way David explained it here felt very real to me. It felt exactly like how someone who I get the impression that he was never as popular in New York as Alexis was. That he had friends that were friends with him because he was a rich rose, not necessarily because he was David Rose, you know, not because he was David, but because he was David Rose. Yeah, uh, I think that that's always been kind of like the runt of the litter behind the door feeling I've always had about David. Yeah. And they, they did like sprinkle some stuff. If you remember when like Alexis was going to her first day of high school and they say like, oh, I just don't want to deal with that bullying again. And it, it was like, that was David, not me. Like clearly he's had rough goes. And then when he was getting his driver's license, when he says to her, people don't have it as easy as you have it. Like it's clear that he struggles even with those social relationships. And come on, is it really a wonder to you and I? I mean, look at how much no. Patrick puts up with, you know, you could see where other friends might be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to really deal with that. He's a complicated morass of insecure, but also very opinionated about what he wants. And that's a difficult line to walk. You know, so often insecure people come off as being insufferable because they're just kind of cloaking their own inner fears. I think it's one of the things that always made David and Stevie such good friends because they're both so insecure. They just express it so completely different. Yeah. And I think it's been a big journey for both of them. But I feel like David really feels like having a great husband, having this house, having this family, having this successful business means less because it's here in Schitt's Creek, not in New York. That it's like you actually said it a few minutes ago that to the people he's talking about, that would not be winning because they they don't see that as, as a winning life. Very much when you think back to the, the inspiration for the show that Dan Levy has talked about, watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. You know, if Kim Kardashian and her family lost all of their money and had to go live and become anonymous for three years, and they, if they returned to New York, no one would be impressed with, none of the people that they rolled with would be impressed that they had built a successful life and found true love in this small town in Nowheresville. Right. Like if no one heard from them again, but they really, or maybe they did, but they just had this show or whatever out in Nowheresville, that's not success. It's only success if they come back to the city, right? Let's say they don't have the show. Let's say they return to New York three years later and Kim's like, you know, I started this little business and I, you know, me and, you know, Kanye have really made good friends there. We were just a pillar of this little community and we love our friends. And I sing in this, this acapella group and it's great. And like, I've never been happier. The people that Kim Kardashian was friends with in New York would just laugh her out of the fucking room and be like, what? They would give her the treatment that the assholes in the boardroom gave Johnny Rose the treatment last week. That's the response that David is afraid of. That's the people that David wants to go show 
he's won. He has made it back. Even we got a taste of those people. Remember when Sebastian came out and was like very Uh clearly like Uh being super condescending or even when Alexis had her friends show up in the cafe and they were like, shut up, like every little thing. But if you were unsure of what those people are like about using people and just having these awful opinions about everyone and treating everyone like trash. I kept thinking about how, remember with Alexis's friends, the girl was offering her a job, but in order to have that job, she was going to have to go ahead and go fire the other friend who's like on the other side of her. <laughs> like it was like, it didn't matter. She didn't care. She's like, oh, I have a job for you. I mean, I'm going to have to fire her, but it's fine. The way that everyone just uses each other. You know, obviously it's it's a heightened thing because it is a, it is a fictional TV show, but it is definitely a real thing of making a life over here and feeling like you still need to go prove something to your old life, to the people in your old life. And, and that's what Stevie is so great at here. She verbally grabs his face and makes him look around at what he has. And I think in the end, that's what does it. Finally opens his eyes. This is real life. This is what you have. And you have so, so much. It's just a different world. It'll never be the having so much that the people, the fake friends, the caviar crowd will ever appreciate. And right. you, you, will, you will waste all of your breath and the rest of your life trying to convince them of otherwise. But why would you? These, right. They're not here for you. It, it's a, it's such an important lesson. And, you know, not everyone can identify with every aspect of it. But I think most people can identify with get ready for your high school reunion. And you may be successful. You may have a beautiful husband or a beautiful wife and beautiful children, a great job, a great house. But maybe you feel like I need to go and I need to go impress this guy who was like the coolest kid in high school who is four times divorced and a recovering gambling addict and he has a giant beer belly now. But you still have the idea in your head. I'm tapping my head. You still have the idea in your <laughs> head that you need you need to impress that person because of your old life, what you had been ingrained in your old life. But when you have clearly surpassed them in every way that matters. I am so proud of Stevie being able to point this out to David and for David actually being able to hear her and and absorb it because that has not always been the case. You know, she could have made this argument at any point in time and really he not be able to hear it until I think the big thing for me was when he says, I'm just, I'm just looking at this house and I'm thinking of that Patrick drove out here and knocked on the door and, and talked to these people all because I said, I liked it to absorb that level of love and support and just how much people around him care about him and really want him to be happy. That was intense. It was intense. And, but you know what, at the same time, I love that she was able to diffuse it by saying good people do that, David. That's why we don't understand it. (laughs) You know, right. It was a great minimal diffusing. And then she also talks about how she made the joke just in case it didn't land right, but it tears him up. You know, it lands in all the right ways. He was very, very teary during that whole car scene. As he should be. Yes. This is a tremendous thing that he didn't even realize. You know, last week we talked about how uh, he said to Patrick and sincerely believed it. I thought New York would make you happy, but it wasn't until this episode that the scales kind of fell away from his eyes and he really understood what would make Patrick happy, what would make him happy. And God, when Stevie pleads to him, you've already won. And also, don't fucking leave me. What are yes. you doing? Oh my gosh. What a personal plea. The two of them, Emily and 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 Dan, just fucking knocking it out of the park in that scene. Just yeah. just ripping each other bare and vulnerable. Oh. It was really, really good TV. It really was. I mean, maybe, maybe moment of the year of all television, that particular scene. Yeah. I'm so grateful that they did not make them 
a romantic couple ultimately because they you could have had this exact same situation happening, not exactly, but very similar with them being the romantic duo. And I'm really glad that she was making that plea as a friend. Don't mm -hmm. leave me because our friendship is so important because I think that people often put relationships in front of friendships. And I think maybe it was like Sex in the City. That was one of the first shows where they were like, you know what? Maybe our friendship is the most important thing. Maybe us, maybe we're the one for each other. And men are just the side thing. You know, maybe that's what it is. You're not searching your whole life for the perfect man. You, we already have each other. We're good. And these men can just be the extra. I felt kind of that way about Stevie, even though I love Patrick. You know, in a lot of ways, David has his soulmate in Stevie. Mm -hmm. It's it's extra and wonderful to have Patrick as well. but. They would have been okay anyway. Imagine finding a friend that understands you so, so well because they are so, so much like you. That is not a person you could ever be with romantically, but that is exactly the person you want to be your ride or die best friend. David doesn't need to talk to himself. He can just go talk to Stevie and it's right. like talking to himself but with like a little spin and you get like an interesting take on it. No, I, I think, I think you really hit the nail on the head and, and I love them together in that in those first couple episodes and their flirt and thinks it's great, sexy business. But I also now have come to be so happy that they didn't get them together. Them as friendship are the kind of goals that we should all seek from our friends. I agree. But let's wrap up with Patrick and David, which I think they had great scenes together. And I think they said great words together. But I don't I don't think any of it moved me as much as David and Stevie moved me, which I think is also a testament to their friendship. What did you think of Patrick being actually willing to go to New York? You know, he's going to get to watch a Yankees game. Were you surprised that he had kind of settled on it? I really do believe that he loves David that fully. So it was not a big reach for me to think like, would he give up all the things he has? Would he pivot and, and just follow David's dreams? It didn't feel false or fake or forced. It felt like true. I guess I figured for him, I know that he was working on his vows when he was sitting at the desk, but it also would not have surprised me if he was working on like a business plan that would have like expanded Rose Apothecary made their current life fit into David's dream life of New York. And so if he was sitting there like drawing a Madison Avenue business front, you know, on like a piece of paper or something, something like mm -hmm. that, that just was like really trying to make their life fit into the city life. I could have seen that happening. It was heartwarming that he was working on his vows because it also was like, oh yeah, we still have a wedding. <laughs> I love that they maintained their relationship and that he's talking about Yankee Stadium and David's like, and I hope you find people who will go with you for that. Yeah. And by then you will have found someone who will go with you. I love that. I love that Patrick was able to list off all the reasons that it is a good idea, because if you're not attached to Schitt's Creek, going to New York is a great idea. You have a high end niche business like Rose Apothecary. New York is a perfect place for that. There are, uh, Rose Apothecary and New York make a lot of sense together. You can go see Mets games, not Yankees games, because the Yankees suck in the Mets rule, but you can go see baseball games and find people to go with you there. Like, New York is a great place to go, but what he says, uh, it's going to be a tough goodbye. This is where our life began together in yeah. Schitt's Creek, you know? So, yeah, mm -hmm. I love, of course, Patrick was okay with it because Patrick does love he does love David unconditionally. And of course he can make it work because it's not a hard sell. It's not like, it's not like David's like, we're going to move to Timbuktu and, you know, we'll just rebuild our life there. No, it's not that. That's extreme. New York, of course you can make a life in New York and do the things that they're doing in New York. But that's not really the point. 
See, you know what? I'm an, I'll pause you because that's because you're a New York guy. So for the rest of us who are not New York City natives, moving to New York is not like, New York's great. Like, it would be so easy to do. Like, it's what's the problem, you know? It's expensive. It's chaotic. It's it's overwhelming for lots of people. And so as being such a pragmatic person as Patrick is, to just sort of be like, well, this isn't like you're moving to the backwoods somewhere. True. This is very loud, very busy, very different, very competitive, where like you're going to have to be like on the business, you know, night and day, blood, sweat and tears, as opposed to a couple of people in the shop. That's okay. How are you going to make your rent? And, you know, you've got three other niche stores on the same block as you. You could understand where Patrick is like really crunching the numbers of like, how is this store going to work? And like, how are we going to work? And where are we going to live? And how will this look? You could see where that life isn't such an easy slide into as for you, for sure. And for many people, it would be myself. I wouldn't mind moving to the city at all. But for Patrick, I could see where there'd be a lot of hesitation about how that change isn't necessarily a good change. That's definitely true. I think I was thinking in the context of the show, all of those real world issues were not a concern. The where would we live? The money. I felt like the show was kind of was I, I at least took it anyway. Like those were not the concerns that Patrick was talking about. Pat, I always I felt like Patrick's Patrick's concerned were what would going to New York mean for changing our life together in an emotional way, not in a how are we going to make our rent kind of way, but in a we're all we're just going to work all the time. We're just going to be stressful New Yorkers now versus right being able to pop across the street uh, to the cafe for a tea you know, whenever we want to. And yes, you're right. And three people and it's not stressful. And, you know, we get to have these kind of the the emotional aspects of and mental aspects of moving from Schitt's Creek to a New York were what I was picking up on. I don't know why I was, I I guess, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is a very real thing to, uh, and, and a bit of a culture shock And, and real world logistically, there are a lot of questions you have to answer, but I felt like the show was, was kind of saying like, that's all taken care care of. Like, you don't have to worry. Let's not worry about where they would live or, or how they would afford it. Money doesn't seem to be an object right now right. Um, to, to, to doing it or not doing it. It's really the emotional aspect of it. He doesn't say it's going to be a tough goodbye because how the fuck are we going to pay for anything? Like Patrick is focused, right. very focused on right. the the symbolic and and emotional resonance that Schitt's Creek, they are Schitt's Creekers. They are not New Yorkers. They are, which is super interesting. And I, I wonder... You know, when you put it out that, you know, it's only been three years for them. And for David, you said this in the last podcast, this is only just like a drop in the bucket of like who, what makes up who he is. It is interesting. And I really hope in this last episode, we get a little more reveal of Patrick's background of like, has he lived in the Schitt's Creek area for like 30 of his years? Or like, what's his story? Caroline, I thought we were going to get it. I thought... When he said it's going to be a tough goodbye, I thought it was on the tip of his tongue. I've lived here my entire life. I was waiting for it. Like I leaned forward, like my little ears. I pulled them forward. I was like, "Oh, give us, <laughs> give us that backstory, Patrick, please." Caroline needs it. I do. I want to know what his story is. But not in this episode. No. Not in this episode. What did you think of you know when Patrick is like, "Yeah, I mean, we can do it." Like cool, let's let's just go. That's why I didn't mention a house to you because New York came up and now it, it just seemed passe or it seemed not relevant anymore. 
And then David responds with a pretty, again, you know, David's default position is New York, New York, New York, selfish, you know, that he's Moira's son, selfish, but he can modify it. You know, we, we talked all about this last week. We get to see him pivot there and he says, you know, but I don't want to move you somewhere that you're not excited about going to. It's, it's another way of saying, I thought New York would make you happy. Were, were you surprised that he was willing to back down at that point? Because he had not yet had that conversation with Stevie. He had not yet had that kind of realization that he has everything in, in Schitt's Creek that he needs to be happy. Um, to me, early on in the episode, like when they were doing the mimosa breakfast and they were taking the picture and they were like, come on, David, you don't need to look so morose is what Johnny says. Right then, the like, look like he like smelled a fart look on his face was like, mm -hmm. I already knew he knew he couldn't ask Patrick to leave and go to New York and he couldn't do this. And so when the family, when he, when he says basically smile, be happy, your, your whole family's here. That little heartbreak there was like, yeah, but you're all going to leave and I'm going to stay. So I knew in my heart of heart Interesting. that he was, he was going to stay at that point. Did you not, you did, did you see that differently? I, I didn't get that at all. I, I feel like if this house thing hadn't come up in this episode, uh, David would not have changed his plans. Oh, no. See, I think he knew. Go back and watch that. Go back and watch that very first scene and the look on David's face. And Oh, and the fart look. I definitely know the Johnny, fart Johnny, like saying sure. that. But Johnny's saying that specific line, you're with your whole family. And then his shoulders just kind of go down like, but not for long, you know? Oh, like, see, just, I took it. Uh, see, I took it completely. I took it much more literally how we see them, you know, like we're all bunching together. You're with your family. Like that kind of stuff always makes David look like he's smelled a bad fart. Cringing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, like together time, like hugging and stuff. Like that's not like Davis. That, that was how I took that. But maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should go. I do have to point it, out one know? more question that I like literally said out loud. Like, is David pregnant? What is the deal? Like I counted, I think three different times where they were going to eat something or, or someone talked about food and David was like, where's the food? Like, he's like, where's the breakfast? And then later he was like asking about some other kind of food. And I was like, what is the deal with this? Like <laughs> I never took it for David, like needing to like eat constantly, except for when he's like nerved up about stuff. Remember he eats yeah. mall pretzels. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. I was thinking since he's stressed out, maybe they're trying to point that out to us by how much he's asking about eating and food. Like that's his little vice. So maybe that was like a subtle little layer. I picked up on it and I completely agree with you. The line he says to Patrick, Patrick says to him, I didn't mention the house for another reason was I, I know you don't like to have more than one thing on your plate at, a, at the same time. And David says, unless it's food. Yeah. And then there was a lot of talk about food. I think David is a big stress eater. He is stressed uh, about the wedding, about life, about New York, about staying, about Patrick, what, about what it all means. He's a stress eater. That I made loved me it, laugh because I'm a stress yeah. eater and I believe you are a stress eater. No, no, I'm definitely a stress eater for sure. For sure. I feel like that's like, you know, that was very uh, relatable. And maybe why I picked up on it was like, oh gosh, you know, when someone's like, when someone is like snarfing around, I have like this huge basket. It's ridiculously large of candy in the pantry. And I, nobody ever goes in there. But when I can hear someone in it, like I can hear the rappers, I'm like, what's the problem? What's the matter? Like no one just casually eats a little bit of candy out of it. It's like, it's it's the little scale that's like, well, like Jack will say something. He'll be like, well, what happened was that my biology test? Like immediately. And he's like unwrapping like a Twizzler or something. And I'm like, I love that. Mm, Bubba, like I know something's wrong over here. It's the telltale heart instead of a heart thumping under the floorboards. It's, it's candy, candy in wrappers. Your <laughs> candy wrappers. 
I mean, that's a great segue, actually, to the end of the episode when uh, they get the one pizza and uh, David comes yes. in and his first reaction is, one pizza? What is See? this, Les Mis? Yeah, oh my God. that so was the funny. third food reference. And I literally, after when he said that, I go, is David pregnant? Like, what is he like, what is he like trying to scrounge up food all the time for? Like, And or, and he had gone and gotten a muffin, remember? So I was like, oh my God, how many times? I know that was the previous episode, but like, every time it was like about food for him. I don't know. I just found that interesting. I think that's just good uh, business though. That's good character business because they've established that he's a stress eater. And what time in his life has been more stressful really in a consistent way than this season for him? Planning yeah. a wedding, the idea of sharing your life with someone, the idea of, of are we staying, are we going, what is happening? The last few episodes, very stressful for David. Very. You know, something that we don't really talk about. He takes so much on he handles it pretty well, but he definitely does stress eat. Anyway. Do you know what? There is something about David that I really appreciate. That This is not exactly a very flattering thing to say about myself, but I would say it anyway. I feel like I am one of those people at times. I'm not always, I'm not always like David, but I can be about certain times when it's like I am very stressed out. Maybe when I'm in the middle of doing a fundraiser or something like that is going on. I just have a lot going on. And the way that Patrick sees and says out loud, like, I know you don't do well when you have more than one thing on your plate. I know you like to handle it this way and just respects that doesn't doesn't give him like, oh, well, you need to like learn how to stress better or like you need to like get your shit together or whatever, you know, like none of that. It's just like I get that this is you and I accept that. And so I'm going to dole out information in a way that's comfortable for you. I have to say that sounds like an exquisite life to be in where someone just gets you, understands you and is willing to just accept that the way that they need to interact with you, this is the way it is. I still love you for it and not not think anything less of you for it. That's amazing. It is. And it's almost too good to be true. But I do love that we get to have that <laughs> here, though. Right. What did you think of how all of the roses kind of chimed in with Alexis being like the the one left standing in the middle uh, and the middle being New York? It turns out my the parents aren't going. We're going to L.A. at least to begin with. They, then David chimes in and he gives the quote that we started the episode with. Of, I just don't think I'm finished with this place. You know, there's too much here for me. Johnny says to Alexis, so you're going to come to L.A. with us? And what did you were you so happy or were you surprised that Alexis uh, says that she's going to continue flying solo and go to New York by herself? I think it's what she needed to do right now. I felt very satisfied with all of their choices. None of them seemed it came out of nowhere. None of it felt like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would that happen? All of it felt like, yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And And to be honest, again, None of their choices feel like they're set in stone. Like Johnny and Moira will likely go head over back to New York once the reboot is shot or even sooner. David and Patrick have the option to enjoy life in the country for a while. And if they want to go move to the city and expand their business, they can do that. Nothing felt like everyone is going down a road that can never branch off or that it, you can never U-turn or make another choice or whatever. It all felt like this is the right thing for them to be doing right now. I don't feel like it was like a death sentence for anybody. You know what I mean? I think you're right. It is where Alexis needs to be. And I and I, I'm glad that she realizes that. I'm glad that she hasn't backed down from the last couple of episodes. You know, she, she's been building up and building up ever really since the Interflex and the croning happened. She has been building on top of herself and raising herself up. And I'm glad that even with the Ted fallout and the one night stands and the rebounds and the, and the relapse and 
the sweatpants phase. I'm glad that in the end, she hasn't lost sight of where she needs to be. But instead, she's really continued to build there. And here, this is if she's going to bail on herself and on where she should be, now is when it's going to happen. I'm going to have no one in New York. I went from having my family coming to New York with me. Now I have no one coming to me. And living with uh, David and Patrick. Yeah, yeah. Like she had, she was well supported. You know. Yes, she. I mean, she had literally all of the, all of the crutches that she would need to to be able to go out on her own. But you know what? She doesn't need the crutches. She I'm doesn't. So proud. I'm really proud of her too. What did you think of David's line? I just don't think I'm finished with this place. I feel like that was a metaphor for all of us and Schitt's Creek. I felt like David was talking on our behalf about how we feel about Schitt's Creek, that we're just not finished with this place yet. It was so raw and so honest, and it made me feel like, yeah, none of us really feel like we're finished at all. Going over to the house with Patrick and him, <laughs> I loved it when when Patrick goes, at this point, who even needs a wedding? And David's all like, I do, I do, I need a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> like, cause that's, because it's like, we talk about the show. There's been like many times where you're like, well, if this was the ending, I'd actually be okay with it. Or if this, if this was like the whole series finale, that, that was a good wrap up. And so it was like, right here, I was like, well, look, now, you know, where everyone's going to land. Everybody's okay. Mm-hmm. Do we really even need a last episode with a wedding? And David's like, yes, I do. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. I was going to open up this episode tonight by telling you that if you had told me this was the series finale, I would have been a hundred percent okay with it. Yeah. It is so much extra to get a wedding and get whatever we're going to get next. I don't, I can't imagine having a feeling better about where everyone is landing than this episode, because, you know, I was, we were talking to someone recently, they were talking about how in this day and age, people flip out. If you don't get a season two, everyone wants the story to always continue. And I, I'm guilty of that. I watch a lot of TV. I, I hate when shows are like maybe one and done or like I, the magicians is ending tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I'm not ready for the magicians to be over. I love that show. That Sorry show has been my that. favorite. Yeah, I know. I'm very sad. The show has been my favorite uh, for five years. It, it produced one of the best seasons of television ever, in my in my opinion. Their third season was the best. I'm not ready to say goodbye to that show, but I understand it has to end. And it and I've seen it. It's no spoilers, but it ends in a way that is very satisfying. And I'm very happy with how it ended. And the same here. If we never saw anyone else, I I feel okay about where everyone goes from here. Like this is a great series ending for me, so I can't imagine what next week is going to look like. I'm so excited because it it is like it, I mean I said the you know some of all of the different moments were like icing on the cake, but this is even just like this is more than we could have expected. This is the encore after the encore after the encore. I do want to note that I am so relieved that they went through the trouble of showing us the house that David and Patrick could live in. Because there are a lot of people, including myself, who enjoy interior design and really care about what homes look like and stuff that would have a really hard time with the homes and the li- the life that we'd been shown in Schitt's Creek to say, how does this work for David and Patrick? Like, I mean, they're not living in a house that like Roland and Jocelyn live in. They're just like these places like or Stevie's apartment or any of that stuff. Like I needed to see something else and to see this like really quaint cottage and they they bothered to compare it to Kate Winslet's cottage and all that stuff. All of it was like, okay, my heart is totally settled. Like I know where you sleep at night. I I know where you'll wake up mm-hmm. across from a farm. You're safe and it's realistic. I give them so much credit with the writers of how they managed to care about those details and say like our audience is going to give a shit. And like because David Rose would give a shit. He could not just settle down and be satisfied with a little apartment somewhere. You know, like let's give him a real place 
that we like to say in the biz, your house should rise up to meet you. And I feel like it does. I completely agree. I think it was the exact kind of house. And I love that David, when he's talking to Stevie, um, mentions that, you know, and he found this house for us that we could spend the rest of our lives in. And then he he corrects himself. He's like, well, no, it's not big enough for the rest of our lives. But, you know, <laughs> for right now, and I think that's a really honest statement, you know, whether whether he means because they have kids or just because he's going to want a bigger house at some point. Like, this is the right starter house for for David and Patrick. It's where they sh should be. And I'm really happy for them. I'm also, I was surprised at how happy I was that I got to see, because I don't really care about that kind of stuff. But you're right. It did fill some kind of, some kind of missing piece as part of the, are they all going to be okay? And I think seeing the house in this area is is a great way. Like I can't imagine what what a Moira Johnny apartment looks like in L.A. or right. what an Alexa Alexis apartment looks like in New York. But I I feel so immersed in what people live in in the Schitt's Creek area that I you're right a hundred percent without even realizing it. I'm very happy I got to see this nice little cottage house. Uh, where they're gonna where they're gonna be love that you brought up that that line about the you know this is maybe not our forever house but this is great right now that is what left the door open to new york and stuff for me the sentiment of like i'm not done here yet and this place is great for right now all of that felt like the journey is long and choices are many and this is just the choice we're making right now and we're happy and satisfied and this is a good pick right now but the world is open to us and we can buy a bigger house we can move to another city later on down the line. See, I mean, at the end of the day, that's where we're leaving all of these characters right now. The world is just open to all of them. All of the roses, the, the, the buds, the shits, the world is just starting for all of them, whether, whether they're in their 20s or their 30s or their 40s or their 50s. Everyone in the show, their world is just starting. You know, they're all about to embark on their 2.0 lives. And I love I love that journey for them. Who doesn't love 2.0? Come on. The last teary-eyed moment was uh, one of the last lines of the episode when David does the big reveal to Patrick. And Patrick's like, you know, I've seen this house already. And then he just, <laughs> he just straight talks him. He says, you know, I just I don't want to be anywhere you don't want to be. And which is a sweeter, kinder, more important version of I don't want to move you somewhere where you're not going to be excited. This phrasing had a lot more heart and an emotion behind it. I don't want to be anywhere you don't want to be. What more could your partner say to you than that? I swear in this world of being forced to go to like a cocktail party or like a business function, have to show up at some, you know, crummy event that you don't want to go to, to have a partner that actually is like, you know what? I don't want you to be anywhere you don't want to be. And it's completely okay. Like that's not okay by me to make you go somewhere you don't want to be. Oh, again, <laughs> who are you, Patrick? <laughs> who are you, David? How do you guys work? Yes, well, they're, they're all the unicorns. I, I'm thinking ahead to next week. I don't want to be, but it's it's something that, you know, April April 7th comes, whether we want it to or not. And I, I just don't know how this show can wind up and make me feel all the feelings more than I already feel right now after watching this episode tonight. So so here's my predictions. I assume we're going to get something about Patrick's background. There's got to be. They've hidden it so <laughs> freaking Girl, well. I, I think are, I think there, there's going to be something. I really think there's going to be something. I'm putting it out there. Hey, man, if there's nothing, you can laugh at me. But I'm putting it out there that they've been hiding it. For your mental health, I hope they give us something. I, for sure. <laughs> well, okay. You have any predictions at all? Can you believe we're going to see Stevie Bud in a in a, like a 
possibly a bridesmaid's dress of some sort? If she is not wearing a pantsuit of some sort, I call foul. I cannot see Stevie Bud, whether it's Stevie Bud 2.0 or traditional Stevie, I cannot see her in a uh, in a dress. But so, uh, hold up. Remember anniversary? Remember she wore that black sleeveless dress? Oh, like that's true. Dress. So I don't know. I don't know. It w- I can't wait to see what the fashion is, to be honest with you. David Rose fashion is epic to see what the choices he's going to make. Again, from like a decorating standpoint. Oh, I am jazzed to see the choices he's going to make. Where the hell is this wedding? Is it at the motel, Mike? That we have, We've had very little in the way of planning. So, I mean, the last we heard was that it's going to be at the motel and we haven't heard differently. So I think we have to be going on that assumption. Here are my predictions. I think the wedding is going to be full of hijinks. I think something wacky will happen at the wedding. I think we're going to get a little time jump, a little time jump. We're going to see Alexis in New York. I think we're going to, you know, they just didn't go and shoot in New York for those external scenes for the pitch last week. I make mm. you bet they shot stuff with Annie in New York. We're going to get a little fast, a little flash forward. We're going to get some Moira and Johnny out in the world, LA or whatever, a little bit. We're going to get something that brings them back to the creek. Something We're going to get some kind of mini flash forward where something is going to happen in a good way that's going to bring them back to the creek. And that's Ooh. that's how it's going to end. It's a baby adoption. That, that is where my brain is going. That is because it doesn't foreclose them telling a story in a movie or whatever down the road where it's a more significant time jump forward. But just a little three months or six months, I think, at most. I can't see them doing a year jump, but like three or six months later, dot, 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 we're going to get where they all are. And because the changes that they're all embarking on now are all going to have immediate, immediate effects on their life. It's not something that's going to take a year. Right. Alexis is going to New York. That's something that is going to happen soon. Uh, 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 Moira is shooting in two weeks in L.A. That is something that is happening soon. So we don't need to do a big time jump to see how their lives have changed dramatically. Hear me out on this. Tell me Tell me this. I see Jazza girls singing at the wedding. In some way. Who officiates the wedding? Roland or somebody else? Roland. He's the mayor. He's probably empowered by the... It's either Roland, and if not Roland as the mayor, then we're going to learn that Ray uh, has been ordained <laughs> as, as one of his services that he That provides. would be good. I would like Ray. I'd also kind of like to see Bob like uh, do his last run, because we haven't seen him in forever. So to see him like run up there for some reason, that would be really funny. I'm trying to think of any other roles that anybody would have in, in like a stereotypical wedding situation. That's like, like we, we talked about the catering. We talked about like how that stuff would work. And obviously, Twilight's going to be at the wedding, so she doesn't have to do that. But like, Trying to think about like what other, the officiant, whatever. I don't know what else. It's making me really, really wonder. Like how else will they tie in the town people and all these people that we've met along the way? Gwen totally has to show up. (laughs) Here's a hypothetical that I'm curious on if you are okay with it or not okay with it. Because I think we're going to get some cameos. I think we're going to see some people that we have not seen. We're going to see either a Bob that we haven't seen in a while or we're going to see a Mutt. But the one I think that we may see that may have storyline implications that I'm curious about is what happens if Ted shows up at the wedding? Would you be okay with that? And does that affect Alexis's plans that I think you and I are both in agreement that we're very happy with where her story is going? Would you be okay if they curveballed us to involve Ted in her plans at the last moment next week? I think I would be okay if he showed up. It would have to make a really good sense in terms of like the research project he's going to do is actually going to put him at like NYU or someplace like that. And he's going to be doing his studies 
at like some wonderful, terrific place that everybody says like that, that just that matches. And so it's going to just like work out. I would be okay with that. Anything where he just gave up his dream or came back from her, for her or any of that, I'd be less okay because I think that that would be like short lived. Like, I don't, you know, I think that it would, there'd be like a lot of resentment and sadness and everything about that. I think. I I feel exactly the same way. I don't want either of them to have to compromise where they have gotten through because why have made them go through all of that pain and heartache? I mean, you have to imagine Ted has been in as bad a place as Alexis was in, you know, for those couple episodes. Life is cruel sometimes and life does do mean things. But I think. I think we have learned that Alexis didn't need to be with Ted to get to where her story was supposed to take her to. So yes, if, if he winds up being a teacher at NYU or, you know, the maritime program at it, like Stony Brook out on Long Island or something like that, you know, where it makes sense and they can be together. I love it because I love them together. I love both of them, but I don't want either of their journeys to be compromised by feeling like they have put them together at the end you know we've all dealt with it we've we've moved on we've we've accepted that that's not where their stories are supposed to go yeah so it would feel a little cheap if they did that this has been a really good episode and this was this was one of those ones that the second i finished watching it i immediately texted you and was like have you watched the episode yet and you're gonna love it it was great like i was so relieved and happy you mentioned the the writing step and complimenting them i don't think it's a coincidence that the last two weeks this week and last week were were written by Dan himself, you know, which, in a, and we all know Dan is involved in all the scripts in the writer's room. Um, but for him to be the sole penned author on these two episodes, I think you really see his vision coming to the point where he wants it to be. This is really him finishing the story the way he wants to on his, on his terms. And I, I think last week was great. And I think this week was just, I mean, it was a perfect series finale, even though it's not the series finale. So I give him a lot of credit. You also know that this week was special. I don't know if you clocked this or, or noted this, but this episode was uh, four minutes longer or three and a half minutes longer than the typical Schitt's Creek episode. It came in it came in at 24.55, so just about uh, 25 minutes, and the typical episode is just over 21 minutes. You know, at the one-yard line, we get <laughs> – a we get for Schitt's Creek anyway a you know elongated episode you know a supersized episode I think it's amazing I think that that's that is the thing that I'm that I'm saying like the that's so they take care of us as audience members so well they're the encore on the encore on the encore like and they're going to give you a to-go bag with like a cheeseburger on the way out for you to have on the ride home like they are just going to take care of you so well I feel like that they have hosted us through this whole thing and they've taken care of us as viewers they want us to be totally satisfied with what we've seen and that sincere feeling of like gratitude that i've seen in all their interviews that we are participating in their show makes me feel like it is not sappy fan service it is them wanting to do right by the characters and right by the audience and that feels like wow you guys you you are just winning. I know next week, Mike, isn't there an extra special, something that's coming on at the end of the episode? So the episode is uh, airing an hour earlier at 8, 7 Central, and then they're doing an hour retrospective on the show from 8.30 to 9.30 is my understanding. I think that's so cool and great that we get to have that extra extra nugget. I wonder, and we can talk about this next week, but I'm, I wonder if he always had the idea of where everyone was going to land and he worked backwards on some of these things, most especially this last season, or if he truly just had to keep like manipulating the clay to get to 
this end point? Well, they have said that the sh- the the channel didn't tell him to end the show. Him and him and his father decided to end the show. So that tells me that he had he had a place where he wanted to get to and decided he only needed the one extra season and this one supersized, slightly supersized episode to tell it. My guess is he knew where he wanted to wind up, uh, at least for some for some amount of time anyway. He has known where he wants everyone to wind up, and he has been writing to that for a while. I like that. I like that very much. Before we say goodbye, and we want to give you our phrase of the week for our shitty contest. We have one more episode next week that you guys have to listen to to be ordered to get all seven phrases of the week to submit to us. Head to our website, podclubhouse.com, for all the rules on how to enter and the prizes you can win. So the phrase of the week for episode 13 is barbarous jeep the phrase of the week is barbarous jeep okay so all you have to do is dm us the seven phrases of the week from episode 8 through episode 14 did you dm it to us on twitter or on instagram or send it to us i guess by message on facebook so one more time we'll see you next week at the creek this is caroline from daily review this is mike for pop culture review thanks for listening thank you for listening this has been an original pod clubhouse production Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.